1: Welcome to the Self Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. I'm broadcasting from beautiful Arizona, Uh, and it is beautiful today. And we just we just expect it when we get up in the morning. We just expect it. I want to talk a little bit about the Self Improvement Blog and what's on it uh, this week. Uh, I've posted a series of articles about choice, uh, about making decisions. You know, one is on how to choose your mood, how to choose happiness. Choose what you want in life, choose how you want your life to look, all to get us ready to talk about life as a choice today. I put on some really good videos from YouTube about making choices. You might want to take a look at those. So, you know, if, uh, if you have a chance, go to www.theselfimprovementblog.com. Let me know what you think about it. Let me know what you'd like to see there. Next week's guest is going to be Donnie Tash. He's been with us before. He's a psychic medium who's going to discuss how those who've passed on can communicate with us. Um, If you think about it, we're energy, they're energy, and there is ways to get information back and forth. We're going to play some excerpts from a session he had that are really rather astonishing and are rather compelling to believe that this is a possibility. We're also going to talk about superstitions and how they affect um, some of our life choices even if we're not aware of it. But today as I said we're going to talk about life choices or the fact that life is a choice. A lot of us grew up thinking that life was something that happened to us um, now we're a little more aware that our life is what we make it. Certainly there's much more literature on it. You know, remember those times, those days that we would get in a mood? You know what I mean. You know, as if we had no control over the mood and actually sometimes it seemed easier to let the mood be in control than to make a choice to change it. We made plans and goals primarily around work, but then allowed the rest of our life simply to happen, as if we had no choice in the way we wanted to respond to it. I think some people still may do that. I I hope there are not too many. We have to realize that what we do is a choice. The way we do it is a choice. Who we do it with is certainly a choice. How we feel about it is a choice. How we react or respond is a choice. And not making a choice is a choice. We're going to talk about this today with our friend David Washington who wrote the book Life is a Choice. We had him on uh, the end of last year talking about his book. We're going to talk more about its concepts today. Dr. David Washington is CEO of Washington and Company, a business consultancy and training company. He travels all over the country and probably soon all over the world because he has something very viable to offer. He's been published in the Leadership and Organizational Management Journal, Franklin Business Law Journal, and the Ethics and Critical Thinking Journal. He has worked with various corporate and social organizations, is a former faculty member of the Poole College of Management at North Carolina State University, where he received the Outstanding Teacher and the SGA Distinguished Professor Awards. Prior to his work in academia, Dr. Washington was a non-commissioned officer in the U.S. Army, and that's a proud title indeed. He holds an MBA from Webster University, MSA from Central Michigan University, and PhD from North Carolina State University. His passion, and I love this, his passion is to educate, encourage and entertain people to reach their full potential. Yesterday I received an announcement that he was recently el- selected by the U.S. J.C.S. as an important and powerful organization, elite organization actually. He was chosen for an award as one of the 10 outstanding young Americans. Big, that's big. The award is given to people who exemplify immense accomplishment and or leadership in the community and certainly David exemplifies this. The award ceremony will be held on June 30th in Des Moines, Iowa and we congratulate David on this wonderful, wonderful recognition. It is such a privilege and a pleasure to welcome you David back to the Self Improvement Show. How are you today?
2: I am fabulous, Irene. Thank you for having me again.
1: Oh, you know, we got in this wonderful discussion the last time, and we didn't get it finished, and I've looked forward to talking with you again. I've thought about it a number of times and things I wanted to ask you, and the list keeps growing. (laughs) Since (laughs) since we had you on the show last, you've garnered quite a number of, of recognitions. Uh, in addition to this one that you just received from the JCS, Catch us up to date on some of the good things that have happened to you since the publication of our book, of your book.
2: Well, let's see, a couple of great things that have happened. Um, actually, at the first of the year, American Express Open uh, Forum Network featured me for their Lessons in Leadership. Um, Black cool. Enterprise Magazine um, ran my advice in their uh, March edition of their magazine. Um, my book won the Los Angeles Book Festival for Best Business Book of the Year. Um, I've also won the Alumni Achievement Award from my undergraduate institution at Excelsior College. Um, So it has been a really good um, few months, and particularly the publication of the book. And I'm extremely um, um, happy and very um, ecstatic about the good attention that's been received around all the things I've been doing. And just very grateful uh, that everything has come together so nicely.
1: Well, I think you know, there's got to be substance behind it or you wouldn't get this kind of recognition. And from reading the book, I can say that the recognition is well-deserved. It's a good book, uh, and anybody who hasn't had a chance to see it should, should take a, a look at it. While, while we're on this, why don't you tell people how to find you on the Internet and how to find your book?
2: Absolutely. Tell us a little
1: bit about that book.
2: Um, you can uh, go to find more about the book at Life is a Choice book.com that's life is a choice book.com and it will take you directly into the website which is um, it actually has some of the awards that are listed there on the website and it talks about some of the different chapters that we have in the book and some of the good reviews we've received as well, um, in addition to the things that have been going forward with the book. Because also in January, Kirkus um, mm-hmm. reviewed our book, and they gave us a glowing review in saying that um, you know it was a digestible uh, piece of advice in, in a book. Um, so I've tried to make sure in putting the information together for the book that the book was something that people could enjoy and really move forward. But lifeisachoicebook.com is where you can go to get more information about me and the book.
1: Fantastic. It's an interesting book. It's an easy-to-read book, but also very meaty. And that's a that's a nice combination when a book um, you, you don't have to sit with a dictionary and a magnifying glass to read a book. <laughs> and, and you get a great deal out of it. You know, I, I have just the only nice words to say about the book that you wrote. For those who missed the first show and didn't hear about your early life, catch us up. Tell our listeners a little bit about your background.
2: Well, um, initially in my early part of life I had a um, difficult childhood. so around age 14, my mother lost her source of income. And what do you mean
1: by a difficult childhood?
2: Um, a lot of challenges. Um, poverty, um, drug- infested neighborhood, um, violence in the neighborhood, um, a number of different just, um, problems in the environment where I was raised. So next door to me, there were um, a group of drug dealers that ran drugs out of their house. And then to my immediate left were a row of abandoned houses. Um, When I was 15, my cousin, who was one of those individuals, was shot on my block. Um, Just a number of different problems. My father left me when I was two. My brother had severe epilepsy. Uh, So there were a lot of um, challenges um, that I faced when I was younger. But I was, in the whole process of it, I didn't feel sorry for myself. And I recognize that though my situation may be difficult, I'm not the only person who's ever gone through this. And the thing that I can do for myself to help myself and help those I love around me is to take hold of life and to make a decision to have a better life. Um, That
1: that isn't necessarily a natural kind of decision to come to. what influenced you to think this way instead of go into the pity party and the oh, poor me and um, that whole attitude?
2: A, a couple of things. One, my mom uh, and my, my mother did a great job of instilling it in my brother and myself that you know life is really what you make of it no matter um, what the circumstances look like. Um, and then the second part, which really helped to kind of straighten me up on this, was I understood that and I don't know how this came, and this came about through talking with my mother and the lessons she taught us, that you're not the only one suffering. And there are some people that are suffering in a far greater capacity than yourself. And when we start getting ready to go, woe is me, we're only making the problem worse. So the lessons my mom taught me and the way that she explained to me about life in general, about how you can make decisions to a better end and how you can affect your life to a better end helped me to realize that, you know what, though my life might be tough right now, it's not over. And then I attribute a very large part um, to my faith. Um, I give honor to God for everything he's done for me in my life. I'm so grateful for the uh, the, parent that he gave me. I'm so grateful for the spirit that I have. Um, And those things, uh, combined together helped me to say, I can do this better. Because when I, was, when this, when I first got the news that we, my mom lost her job and that we didn't have any more income coming in, you know I went on the bed, I laid down on the bed and looked up at the rain-stained ceiling and started thinking to myself, like, how long is it going to be before the utility orders come and turn off these lights? Or you know how long is it going to be before somebody comes and takes this little modest tone that we have away from us? And in in that moment, and this is really where I say faith played a major part, um, on the inside, I had the voice that said, get up. And I felt that that was God himself talking to me and saying, get up, it's not over yet. And from that moment, when I got up and I moved forward, for some reason it clicked for me for the rest of my life that basically you can change it. Um, it may not be easy. And as sometimes, some people get that misconstrued when they say, when someone says life is a choice, they think the choices are easy. They're not all the time very easy, but you still have a choice in the process.
1: Sometimes the choice is easy, but you know, carrying it out yeah. can be an <laughs> immense challenge.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. You can make the choice, and yes, yeah, and that implementation is going to be, in some cases, challenging. But it, you know, but once you make that decision and you put your, you know, put that stake in the ground and saying this is where we're going to go, you know, pretty much it's what you want to do, and you'll be able to get there. But you got to be focused toward that, and you have got to want that. Um, And a lot of people sometimes, they get a little weak on the implementation side. They may want that better existence, but they're not willing to sacrifice what's necessary to make that happen.
1: But tell us what you did when you found that your mother lost her job. And I'm assuming that your mother was doing everything she could to find more work, but it was a problem.
2: Oh, yeah. It was um, when she, uh, my mom has always been a, a working woman, always worked, always took care of uh my brother and I. Um and she worked some very um um hard jobs and that's and any time I get a chance to say this, you know, on in public or on air, you know, mom, thank you. You know, my mom, it means a lot to me for the sacrifices that you made and the things that you did to get us this far. So I thank you, mom, and I appreciate and I love you and I appreciate everything you did for us. Um she did everything that she could do within her power to make things happen. Uh, but I saw that there was a point where she just, there was this issue where she had to, she had gone to where as far as she could go, and she needed some help. So what I said to myself is, I can get up and I can work. You know, I'm I'm healthy. There's nothing wrong with me. I can get up and I can go to work. So I, at 14, I lied about my age uh, to go get a job. And I got fired from that job because they found out how old I was, and I wasn't supposed to be working. Um, But then right, I wasn't too far from around a birthday, and I got into another job, and I just kept working. Um, And what I started realizing was, you know, I can affect this situation a lot better if I just get out here and get to work. Um, I'm very grateful for a program in high school which was instrumental in allowing me to make sure we paid the bills, which was a program called DECA. Um, DECA allowed you to get out of school early. If you had all your, your school credits, you could go out, go to school half a day, and then the rest of the day you could go to work. So what I would do is, you know, I would go from school from like 7 to 12, and from that time forward I would work one job, and then I would work another job at night, and then I alternate day jobs, and then I worked in a labor pool on the weekend. So I was working uh, about four jobs. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was working about four jobs, um, working in one of a grocery store or restaurant, working in a labor pool, working odd jobs um, to make uh, the rent and to make uh, the payments on what we had. But the good thing about this, and this is the thing I tell people, people look at it and it's like, man, how can you be happy about all that? I'm actually kind of happy about that because the lessons I learned when I was younger and being in that environment of having to work has served me so well in my adult life. It's unbelievable. It was the and best. I want to
1: talk about those lessons when we come back from break. This is Irene Conlon with the Self Improvement Show, saying, "Stay tuned. We'll be back for more with Doctor David Washington. Hear about those lessons. So stay tuned.
0: Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Are you looking to improve your personal or professional branding? What about your business? We've got a program that will help streamline your image management. Tune in to Marketing Matters, hosted by Yasmeen Anderson-Smith. Your business and public image is important to your customers' perceptions. And in this day and age, how you market yourself or your company can make the difference between running a successful business and shutting it down. Marketing Matters can be heard every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on World Talk Radio Variety.
1: Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the KidStar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio, for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com
2: listen the
0: world is talking the world talk radio variety channel you are tuned in to the self-improvement show with your host dr irene Conlon.
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. David Washington. We've been talking about his background, and I'm sure you've realized now that he did not grow up with the proverbial silver spoon in his mouth. He worked through high school to support his family, keep a roof over their head. Not that his mother didn't want to work. She simply was not able to because jobs weren't available. Her illnesses prevented her ability to do some things. And so David pulled this off. Uh, David, we were talking, just beginning to talk about the lessons you learned from this and, and how you're grateful that you experienced this during this time of your life. Talk about some of those lessons.
2: One, one lesson was you must give your best at what you do, no matter what it is, no matter how big, no matter how small. Um, In all the jobs i worked, I've worked a lot of minimal skills, minimal paid jobs. And one thing that I would constantly know is a lot of people would complain around me about how bad this job sucked. But what they would not do would be to put forth a more ounce of effort to get to a better situation. And one thing that I saw, and and I was very fortunate because that's an education that you can only get in that actual environment because I would see how people would say, well, this is not right, and that's a problem, and that's a problem. But they wouldn't take a step in a general direction to improve their situation. They wouldn't say, you know what, if I don't like the fact that my boss is always on me, let me go ahead and work a little harder. Or if I don't like the way that things are going right now, I'm not making enough money, let me try to get promoted to get to somewhere so I can make some more money. Um, and I saw that over and over again, and many of these people were older than me, Um, But for some reason, my mind was cued in and I was paying attention. And one of the things about effort and the quality of your work is very important. And that helped me everywhere I went. Because when I went in the military, it was the same thing. Um, It showed me about if you give your absolute best, win, lose, or draw, you know you've done the work that is necessary to bring it in. Um, When I went into academics, it helped me there. It helped me when I went into you know graduate studies. And that continual process of giving your very best – you ever giving less than your best and what you were doing helped me to propel forward. You know, a lot of people look at my resume and they read all the things that are on there, and that's just a testament of what hard work can get you. There are a lot of times I could have slacked, or there are a lot of times I could have taken the easier road, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to stay with this and I'm going to give it my very best. But I learned that in those, in those very young years, and it's been something I just kind of kept reapplying, reapplying, reapplying to my life and it worked
1: out and it worked out beautifully it's interesting to me that there's an attitude that some work is not okay i get a i am on a polling list and i get a poll oh one every week or so and mm-hmm. one of the questions that keeps appearing is and they list a whole bunch of jobs and they say which of these jobs would you be proud to recommend to a friend Mm-hmm. And then they go to the next screen and said, which of these jobs would you be embarrassed to recommend to a friend? Mm-hmm. And I always check all of them that I'd be proud, and then I write them a note saying, you know, everybody should be happy to get honest work. Oh yeah. What's the matter with you people <laughs> that you right. ask this question?
2: <laughs> Have you not opened up the Wall Street Journal lately?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, unless it's into something that's not wholesome, you know, mm-hmm. like pornography or mm-hmm. something that's dishonest. Yep. You know, it, these are honest jobs.
2: Oh, yeah. And it,
1: you should be proud to have one, especially in this these days in, in this economy. I mean, hey, I've got a job. I'm excited. But but people still don't think that way. I'm thinking this is an amazing kind of trend. I, I hope it's not catching on.
2: Well, unfortunately, sometimes what happens uh, in society is when we look at certain jobs as being beneath us, and we look at certain work as being beneath us. And what we don't, what sometimes is not recognized, um, readily recognized, is that that job that you think is beneath you could be the job that can step you into the position you want to move into. A lot of times with young people, when I work with them, some of them want to start at the very top of an of a, of a organization, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. However, you've got to understand that that person that's sitting at the top didn't start with that job.
0: Nope.
2: That person that's sitting at the top was a gopher on a set, ran and got somebody some coffee, was a person that was pushing a broom or a guy that was stuck down in the mailroom, and they had to work every single job all the way forward to get to the point where they are in life. And do it well. And do it well. That's the important part. They didn't just go through the motions. They did it to the best of their ability, and they moved themselves forward. So a lot of times people will see people in the distance and they'll say, well, I want his job. But you don't understand what he or she may have gone through to get that job and the years and the duties and the dues they've had to pay to get into that position. So oftentimes that's a problem.
1: We don't recognize the value of a job. You know, some people, yeah, I I learned long time ago uh, about this you know I thought perhaps the worst job in the world was being a garbage man that nobody would ever recognize you for what you did and then the garbage men in New York went on strike
2: yeah <laughs>
1: and it was not good and I'm thinking I had no idea how important these people were Uh I, and I was astonished and you know then I made friends with the garbage men that picked up uh, stuff at my house Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I really salute them and 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 really open my mind to what okay. people do and how much they contribute to society, even if they 're in a job that we think is not one would want to be in
2: yeah. it
1: 's it's an interesting thing to think about now. Oh. you had what I would call just a burning for education
2: mm-hmm.
1: And you've got a couple of master's degrees, you've got a PhD, and yet you came from a beginning that was not promising for somebody who wanted to go all the way to the top educationally. How did you accomplish getting that amazing education that you have?
2: Um, Again, it goes back to the issue of hard, hard work. When I first came in to then the thing I I, I, I use this as an example when I talk with students, every degree I have I earned at night, which means I was working during the day and pursuing that degree at night. Even my PhD, I was pursuing that in a nighttime program um, at NC State. So what I would do, I had this. I understood a couple of key things. Education is the ultimate equalizer, and in America, ah. in America, if you get the right type of training done, if you get the right type of training done and education done and apply yourself to your environment, you can change your entire life dynamic. And it really it can be something that can really happen in your generation and in the generation of your children. Because what I recognize, I look back across my family history, the real thing that prevented the autonomy necessary to be able to call your shots in life was education. It was a yes. thing that would stop or keep people out of certain positions or certain jobs. A lot of people say, well, you know, an education won't guarantee anything. You're absolutely right. It will not guarantee anything, but it will definitely ensure that you won't get into certain things. It may not get you into the job, but it will definitely keep you out of the job. And a lot of times people don't understand that that educational process very important. So when I looked at education, I said, "This could be. The, this is my ticket out. This is the way in which I can make my life better. So I would go, and I was working in, in fact, I was in the military when I was working on my bachelor's degree. I would work with my soldiers during the day, and then at night I was working on my, um, my bachelor's degree because I recognized the importance of getting that education. The other thing I recognize with that is that changes your entire family history um, yes. or the history that will come. Whereas I was the first one to complete college, and my wife was the first in her family to complete um, the uh, college on her side as she was going through that won't be the same case of situation for our children. They'll have that little step of understanding that was lacking on both of our ends, and it will be the thing that will help them to move forward in their life. So it has this long term effect, not only in your lifetime, but in the lifetime of your children and in your children's children. Uh, so that's why I said, got to put a stake in the ground, got to get this done, got to do it right. The other thing I found is that if you get, the higher you get in your educational level, the uh, more opportunities become available to you. By having a doctorate degree, having a Ph.D., it brought me into the university environment, you know, into the uh, the larger university to research one. It also gave me an opportunity to be an administrator in that environment, but that would not be possible if I didn't have that first entry credential. So looking at that, I said, these are the things you need. These are your tools. That's what you're going to get. So I stayed with it. (laughs) <laughs> I was like we got to ride this all the way out, and you did. Yes, ma'am. Yeah.
1: So now you you've come up through high school, you finished the military, you've gotten your education, you've taught, you have a PhD, and you write a book called "Life Is a Choice." So you know the big question is, why is life a choice? Uh, You didn't have any choice in what happened to you. You made a lot of choices on what you were going to do with it. Why is life a choice?
2: I have a very good friend, um, Dr. Frank um, E. Godfrey. And Dr. Godfrey is a highly intelligent uh, man. Um, Consider him not only as a mentor but as a father figure. And he hit this one dead on the head. This is probably going to answer it. I can't tell you what will happen to you in life. But I can tell you, you can control your response to it. Um, It was many years later when I met Frank, and he told me that, but I kind of intuitively understood that when I was younger. You can't control some of the things that are going on around you, but you can control your response to the situation. I couldn't control I was born into poverty. That just happened. Right? Couldn't control the neighborhood I was born into. Couldn't control the environment that, that was around me, but I could control my response. I could control the response of getting up and going to work versus going to go do a crack. I could control the response of staying in school versus dropping out. I can't control the other things, but I can control how I respond to those things. And that's where it breaks down that life is a choice. You can walk out of your office today and get hit by a bus. You can't control that. That may be just certain things have a line and brought it to your front door. But you can make the choice of, well, I sit here and feel sorry for myself, or will I get into this rehabilitation center and work on trying to get the, regain the strength to walk again? That's how I've always kind of looked at it. When I was leaving the military, you know, I, I had ended up getting a medical discharge because I hurt my back, kind of falling, falling into the family line there. But, and the thing I thought about was I can't control this discharge, but I can control my response to this discharge. I can control how I respond as I move forward to this medical situation. So, my objective was we can continue to move forward and work on this education. We can continue to move forward and work on this situation. And that, for me, um, again, it just is it makes it as clear as day. You can't control what happens around you, but you can control how you respond to those things. And your response makes all the difference in the world. And that response is a choice.
1: I love the people who break the word responsible into response able. Yep able to respond Um, it pretty well says it for me that i am able to respond in a positive uh... creative way absolutely so what happens to me with that thought i want to leave you with that thought while we go to break we're going to talk more with dr david washington when we come back so stay tuned
0: Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. David Washington. We've been talking about his life and his book, Life is a Choice. I want to switch gears here a little bit and talk about what he's doing in his own company. He has a company called Washington and Company. Um, you can find him on the Internet by you know, Googling Washington and Company or just going to to that. He says on his website, in a diverse workplace where people can interact and share ideas, organizational growth and health are present. These elements provide a true sustainable competitive advantage to organizations that can value and manage their human capital. And his company is focused on providing exceptional human capital development. To their clients, I want to talk a little bit about this concept of human capital. I find it a little—I find it fascinating and a little disconcerting as well. Um, and and I I know it's an industry term. I'm sure that it must be, but I find it a little disempowering. To me, it implies that I'm as an as an employee, I'm a commodity that I'm more like a pawn in the game of corporate chess talk a little bit about human capital and how you help companies deal with their employees in a way that is advantageous to everyone the individual as well as the corporation
2: absolutely well, it's, it's actually not to be um, um, disempowering the term human capital. It actually just refers to the knowledge, skills, and ability that the individual brings into the organization. So in this case, we're talking in terms of the resource, and that's the, the key difference. Uh, unlike a commodity that's just purely traded on price, um, where it's like butter is butter is butter, the only difference is how much it costs, when we're looking at a resource, it's something that is unique and valuable in and of itself, Beyond the scope of money. So, when we look at um, human capital, we're looking at these individual talents, these individual ideas, and skills that are brought by each individual employee, or in this case, with sometimes volunteers, because we work with nonprofits as well, that they bring into the organization. So, we're talking in terms of the individual's uh, knowledge, skills, abilities that they bring to the challenges and opportunities that our organizations have. And the way that we go about doing this is we just take the time to find out where are those places and spaces where people can engage and be what they are naturally um, and it be profitable and engaging for both the individual and the organization, profitable in the term not only with money but profitable as far as their life and their life pursuit. Uh, a lot of things that we look at now, for example, is how do we look at in the idea of employee engagement and how do we bring an employee um, into the fold? to say, I want to take ownership of this concept. I want to be involved in this concept. So a lot of times we have to, and I say we, because sometimes I have to work with um, additional people in bring them into the problem and working on these issues of finding out where is that jailing gel, point. We can come in and say, I think I see an opportunity for Jan to be even more, a larger contributor to the organization and a better contributor to organization if she was allowed to play within this space because it fits her skills, it fits her knowledge, skills, and abilities, it fits her personality, and it's something that would, she would flourish in. And sometimes you need someone outside to say that to you because sometimes when you're, some, again, in business sometimes we get blinders. We're focused on a bottom line. We might oh, we're focus.
1: see it, totally focused on the bottom line.
2: Yeah. We, we forget that there are people that are engaged and processes that we get engaged and get more from our people and give more to our people. So sometimes we get a little narrow focus and we get myopic and we miss the background and the scenery where all that happens. Uh, for example, mergers and acquisitions, big time myopic. Oh. Uh, Because what what happens is two organizations say, oh, you've got money? Great. We've got all this other stuff over here. Good. We'll make a great organization. Let's put the two of us together. The problem with that sometimes is they never look at the culture. Your organization is based in the concept of allowing individuals to be individual contributors, kind of free and open players. Our environment looks more around the team and the family, but no one takes that in consideration when the merger is getting done. A lot of times what people look at is they say, well, they got money. We've got this. Let's bring the two things together. It's going to work out great without thinking about. Well, how are we going to get everybody on the same sheet of music? And that's It's that an arranged
1: have. marriage that doesn't work.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of the day, because what what a couple studies have shown, uh, many of the mergers that the intent behind the merger of being able to get synergy and being able to have two organizations that form into one powerful organization is, in many cases, not realized. Um, all the things that they, all the reasons for the merger, didn't occur, um, because though they may have put the people together, they never took the time to make sure that the cultures worked and that the people could work. So the gains that they were getting, they lost those.
1: So you do more than just work with the with the top management. You get right down in the trenches and find out what's going on. Is that what you're telling me?
2: Yes, ma'am. Um, and in many cases, we can do things such as the training process and talking with those individual employees about the process at hand. We also have a portion of the business where we deal in compliance, Um, and that's where we're looking at the the federal government um, has requirements as far as labor is concerned, and we will help um, clients get in that compliance mode to adhere to those federal laws they need to adhere to. Um, So, yeah, a lot of times it's some trench work where you're working directly with the individuals that are there you have your upper level management, your middle level and your lower level employees and engaging each one of those levels and talking to them and talking and translating sometimes up and down the chain what needs to be translated um, to each individual level because sometimes it's better when you have a third party come in and explain it because, I'm, and this is a great part about it, I'm not involved in the family family feud. Right. <laughs> I don't well, have that a, a dog in the, the fight. Next
1: question. Are <laughs> yeah. the, the employees who are down in the trenches, the ones that really, you know the ones that really are doing the work, making mm-hmm. the company move forward, get, getting the product made or sold or whatever it is. Do they feel in most instances that they can be open with you because they know you're not going to excuse the expression rat them out? Uh, yep. To higher management, so you can really find out what's happening in that company, and then go to higher management and say, "You got a problem down here."
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because again, they're because I'm an outsider, I'm not involved in the day to day operations, so I can get that information from them. The biggest portion, um, particularly there was one, there's one specific case I'm thinking about when I'm speaking to this question. The the big thing is the employee wants to know that. You will actually voice that concern. And, you know, of course, keeping confidence, but you will voice that concern in a tactful way where management will understand some of the trials and tribulations that they're going through. Um, but they've got to trust you to do that. They've got to trust you to share that. They've got to trust you to um, put that information out there. So, a lot of times, like when I'll come in, my objective is to try to build and develop that rapport with the individual. Talk to the individual, get to understand where they're coming from. Again, because I'm, I'm I'm almost like a blank canvas. So you give me the information, and then when I sit down later, as I'm going through my notes and starting to write my report, the thing I can then look at is as I talk to all these employees, what's the common thread that I continually keep hearing? That's where and to kind of go back to the first segment where education comes in the hand it comes in handy because you know when I went through my PhD program, I did a lot of work in qualitative research. And being able to take the word, the words that people are telling you and to translate that into something concrete and you know get a, a theme or a coding out of the information they've given you. So a lot of times I have to sit back and I really have to listen judiciously and pay close attention to what's being said. Also, what's not being said.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, and what's not being said, yes. So really, you try to put the human back in the idea of human capital. Oh, yes.
2: Oh, yes. Again, because if you don't do that, you'll never get them to give give you that followership that you need. Um, You want the people to follow you. You want those individuals to follow you, not just because you have the title, but because they believe in you, that they believe in your mission, that they believe in what you're doing, that they believe in in what you're saying. And this is a big one, because they're not going to just judge you by what you say when you get up there to give the annual meeting or the quarterly brief. They're going to judge you about how you walk that out every single day in your organization. That's what you're being judged by, and sometimes leaders forget that. They're like, "Well, you know, I give up there. I give them a good speech, give them a good hurrah, pat them on the back, roll back to my office."
1: No, I think of the program. Uh, what's the, I can't even think of the name of it, but the executives go undercover.
2: The uh, undercover boss. Oh, the I love undercover that boss. <laughs> yeah. So yeah.
1: you're sort of the the undercover boss, in a way, giving real feedback to those who need it, or encouragement to the ones down in the trenches who need that as well.
2: Absolutely. I I, I really, the part of my work I really enjoy the most is working with and talking to the group at large and explaining just the new ideas we can utilize to engage one another. Um, Sometimes people become leaders our managers in their organizations, but they haven't fully become leaders yet. Um, they may hold the correct title to be in a leadership position, but they haven't developed necessarily to be the leader yet, um, but they're on the way. Um, sometimes the employees are not 100% engaged because they may not understand where their leader is coming from. So it's nice when I can engage both of them at the same time in, through a training session or a seminar and explain kind of, hey, this is what's happening on both sides of the fence and one one of the best compliments I've ever gotten through a, a consultation training um initiative it was months later when I came back to the organization and they say, "You know we're still talking about what you told us three months ago when we're still huh? trying to put it into place, so what that means is that it didn't fall on deaf ears, like they got it, and they're still hey, that's working the
1: highest it. of compliments,
2: oh yeah. Oh yeah,
1: it's it's almost time for us to go to break. When we come back, I want you to talk a little bit about how your belief that life is a choice translates into the work you do with companies and, and with the employees. You know, from the mail clerk all the way up to the top. Is that is that something that we can uh, tackle?
2: Absolutely, absolutely
1: cool, then this is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. David Washington, saying, hey, stay tuned because we've got some really yummy stuff coming up.
0: We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Hi, this is Rochelle and Jeff from Travel Hub Radio with another Travel Hub tip.
2: You're late for your flight and there is a long line at the security checkpoint. What can you do as a traveler to improve time and efficiency and make your flight quickly? One idea is to take everything out of your pockets, such as sunglasses, cell phones, PDAs, pagers, and other metal and electronic objects put them in an easily accessible pocket on your carry-on luggage. If security asks you to display or operate these items, they're right there.
0: Plus, you won't hold up the line when you have to do the walk. A metal belt buckle or a wristwatch is usually not a problem, but be aware of them and ready to remove them quickly if needed. Wear comfortable shoes that can be quickly
1: slipped off and on if you are asked to remove them. Most of all, if the security personnel give you specific directions or ask you a question, don't argue. Just comply and cooperate. It's not personal. They're just doing their job
2: for traveling tips and much more make sure you tune into travel hub radio or listen to the show archives and podcast right here on world talk radio and at travelhubradio.com
0: the world talk radio variety channel where the world comes to listen and talk
1: Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. David Washington. And again, we're running out of time far too soon. David is such such a gracious guest and so able to represent companies and consultants and educated people that he's a total delight. David, how does your belief that life is a choice translate into the work you do with companies and individuals in those companies?
2: Um, it's uh, a lot of times it boils down to showing those individuals where they have more influence on their situation than they believe they do. Um, I, I can give you one, and this was actually off the clock. <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was like so blatant that. It, 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 it warrants being spoken about. So I was flying back uh, from New Mexico. I was coming back. it's actually happened very recently. I was flying back from New Mexico, and I'm coming back um, to Raleigh, North Carolina. And then I, I was doing dealing with a conference out there and doing a presentation. And I was on my way back, and I stopped in uh, uh, Atlanta Airport. And as I'm um, in Atlanta. I ended up that the flights that were connecting me from um, New Mexico to Atlanta to Raleigh, the our plane arrived late, and then my plane ended up taking off and going into the sunset. So I had to stay in the airport an additional three, four hours. And in my time there, I said, well, you know, let's just make the best of this. You're going to be in the airport anyway, but it's a nice airport. There are a lot of good places to eat around here. Let's just kick our feet up, relax, enjoy being here in this moment, and then get on the plane a few hours later and be on our merry way home. So I go around, and I'm bustling around in this airport, and I'm trying to find a nice place to eat. I saw a couple places because, you know, through Atlanta they have a train that takes you from station to station, and I finally right. find, find the one that I'm looking for. And I'm like, oh, okay, this looks great. So the food, you know, the, the, just on the ambiance alone, I know the food is going to be great because you, when you see mahogany and glass in the airport, it's got to be good. So I go in there to the young, to the young lady at the front desk, and I say, well, i got one, and I you know, want to get a table and everything else. And as I come in and I, I'm walking to my table, I overhear two of the wait staff complaining about their tips. And one young lady <laughs> says to another young lady, look at this group. They gave me more than what their, their table was. And she was probably referring to a group earlier that came in and stifter. And then when I sat down, again, it was crowded. It's a busy airport. There was a young lady, as she sat me down, she just kind of, Put the, you know, put the menu on the table, kind of toss it on the table with the fork. And it's like, hey, here you are. Your server will be with you. And then the server comes up, and the server's not smiling, and, you know, and she says, you know, what do you want for your order, and this, that, and the third. And I say, well, I like this and this. And, you know, she kind of bustles off. And, again, it's busy, and I recognize that. Um, then the young lady that finally brings me out my food, she brings me out my food, but my drink is empty. So I say, you know, oh, miss, could I get another Diet Coke? Now, my table is one table away from the drink dispenser. Okay. <laughs> the young lady, without missing the beat, turned to me and said, Oh, honey, your server will do that for you, and walked right back into the kitchen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so she walked right back into the kitchen. I mean, and she said it so quickly, <laughs> with so much confidence, that I was like, I guess I will have to wait for that, for that waiter to come back. So she goes back, and she's like, honey, your your server will get that. Then the server finally comes up several several minutes later as the food is getting cold, finally gives me a drink, and then at the end, you know, gives me the ticket and everything else and attempts to smile in the hopes that I'll, I'll leave some type of tip. Um, and it gives a very clear example kind of to the work that I do, and also even more so to the book and the idea about life being a choice. The way staff was complaining about how they didn't get tips. But the irony of this is that their tip is based on their action.
1: Exactly.
2: But they can't see this. So they, in their mind, again, and you've got to meet people where they are, in their mind, it's the customer's fault that they're not getting the right tips. And in the customer's mind, it, and in my case in the scenario when I was looking at it, it's not my fault that you're not getting the tip. It's your fault that it's you're not your getting f- the work to get the tip. So while you're complaining, throwing you know, throwing menus down and being kind of cachet about everything and not really focusing on what you're doing at the time, you're impacting, directly impacting your tip. So,
1: so if that was your customer, mm-hmm. where would you start?
2: I would actually have that person come in and be served by them. But the problem is they they would have an idea or they would know who that person actually was. But I would show and share with them about my experience of being in here and what I saw. And I would actually just take that back to the managerial employees and show them, like, do you recognize this is how your tip is being impacted? Uh, even another thing, and this is very small, but this plays a big role. You know when a person brings you your food and when they bring your food out, you're looking at the person to see how clean they look. Right. It may not be right, right? Judging a book by its cover is not right. But at the end of the day, it does happen. And in some cases, it happens by reflex. So the second they come up to your table and they look disheveled or uncapped, you're starting to question, like, wow, with some hair end up in my food. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, what did they wash their hands? Yeah, did they wash their hands? Have they had a bath today? You know, all these questions come to your mind. And again, guess what? Direct impact on your tip. Because now, now as a customer, I'm thinking about how quickly can I get away from this table and maintain my physical health. Exactly. So, you're, again, these are things that are every time, and again, totally oblivious to it. The, the way staff had no clue um, how this could affect them. So what ended up happening, I did have time. That would have been one of those teachable moments. But I was literally, after that time, I was like, you know what, I need to get ready to get on my plane, so we need to be on our merry way. But that's an example of how, when again, sometimes in organizations we miss it and we're complaining about a problem, but sometimes, in many cases, we actually have the ability to fix it.
1: Oh, and that would have been an easy fix, and it would have been an easy one to teach those young people You know that a smile, um, a friendly introduction, graciousness, uh mm-hmm. every little one of those things would add to the tip. Um, going a little bit you know, on the extra mile in terms of uh, wait staff will get you your drink. You know, and cutting out the honey would have been good for me too. I really have a problem when they say, Oh honey you know. It's like get it yourself, honey.
2: You know, Uh, And I I was kind of tempted, you know, I was like, well, I might want to go back there and grab it myself, but it
1: didn't have a problem. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) perfect example of of the kind of job that needs to be done to help people go up that ladder.
2: Oh, absolutely, and the shame of it is, uh, unfortunately, some people will never learn that lesson. Um, And that's an unfortunate situation because they are so focused on me, 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 and they're not taking enough time to look around them and what's happening. One thing, I, and I appreciate this, I appreciate this in the people who work for me. They can appreciate what I go through to bring in clients, to um, put forth opportunities for them to work. So they work their heart out for me, and I, and I recognize that. Um, and they do that um, day in and day out whenever I need them. They're there and, and things of that nature because they can appreciate that. Entrepreneurship being a managing partner, that's not easy. Um, and when I work for people, I always try to take it from that approach because I recognize that that person's livelihood may be dependent on how I deal with this person that's in front of me right now. But many people are so focused on me, 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 they never get an opportunity to look beyond themselves to how they're impacting others.
1: And they're so afraid of the conversation that they don't listen to what the other person says. Absolutely. You know, Maybe afraid is not the right They're so concerned about what they're going to say next, they don't hear what's being said. Mm -hmm. So a listening skill is critically important. In your book, you say life comes down to a basic question. What's the basic question?
2: Do you want a better life? Do you want a better life? At the end of the day, that's what it all boils down to. If you want that better life, if you want that better set of circumstances, if you want that life, and that better life for yourself, you've got to go out there and go make it happen. A lot of people let life happen to them instead of going up and go making life happen. You weren't designed just to make life happen to you. Life is just happening to me. That wasn't the intent for your life. Your life has more going on than that. The intent for your life is to go out there and go make something happen. There's an opportunity out there waiting for you. But if you never take the step and say, I want a better life, it will never come to be. Nothing is by accident. It's all about the intention of our life.
1: And with those wonderful words, I can you add to that for the thought that you'd like to leave with our listeners today? I mean, how much better thought can you
2: give? I <laughs> now I'm out. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the only thought, the, the final thought is, you know, make your decision today, uh, the life that you want, and then go out there and go make it happen. It's not going to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, but just recognize the truth, recognize the 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 truth of the, of the situation you can make yourself and have yourself a better life if you so desire and you're willing to sacrifice and make those things happen
1: and David, you're the perfect example of how that translates into real everyday life. You didn't grow up in a perfect world. I don't know whether you've created a perfect world for yourself, but you certainly have. Done some monumental work for yourself for your family, and I hope that you'll give your mother love from me because I give her so much credit for this remarkable life that you've developed for yourself.
2: Yes, I, you know, again, I give her much love and credit for all the things she has done. And there's one more person I want to give love and credit to, if it's okay, if we have just as we go into the close, Um, my beautiful supportive wife who has been with me for 13 fantastic years. I am so grateful for her and thankful for her. And I love you as well, baby, and thank you for your support as well.
1: I love those words, and you always have time for those kind of words on my show. Next week we'll be talking to Donnie Tash. We'll be talking about how to communicate with those who are on the other side who have left this world. Uh, And I think you'll find it a quite compelling uh, conversation. David, thank you so much for being with us again today.
2: Irene, always a pleasure.
1: I hope again um, in the future when you have your next book out, we can do this again. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. This is Irene Conlon for the Self Improvement Show saying thank you for being with us today and come again next week for more of the Self Improvement Show.
0: Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there
2: starts in here.